I'm here today with Jason Outman, the CEO of Explore Branson, which is the tourism organization for the town of Branson, Missouri, a town with a population of about 10,000 people, but that gets 10 million visitors per year. We're going to dive into Jason's journey in business, his experience promoting tourism in Branson and elsewhere, and we're going to hear about how the domestic tourism economy is doing during this. Is it a recession? Is it not a recession economy? Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no, thank you for having me today. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to it. And you're absolutely right. It's a small town, but uh, we have a lot of visitors. So we, we do swell on days and uh, become a medium-sized city. <laughs> well, very nice. Very nice. So I, I want to start off just by saying, you know, getting 10 million visitors a year for a, a town of 10,000 people, that sounds like an awful lot of people. What, what is it that, why is Branson such a magnet for travel? You know, there's, there's really three things that we're looking at as an organization. Um, of course, you go back to the history of Branson, you've got, you know, a town that was built on live music, live entertainment, and that's really what built the image and the brand of Branson. Uh, since then, we have really become a, a destination that's known for family fun, and we've also become a destination known for outdoor recreation. So we really kind of check all the boxes. You know, you can come to Branson, you can go to a show, um, uh, not just the country music show. I know we have a stigma that we're country music, but, you know, we have a lot of impersonators. We have, you know, 80s rock, 90s rock. So it's not just country music, um, but you can see a show. You can go in, in Silver Dollar City, which is a top 10 amusement park in the, in the U.S. And you can go to Table Rock Lake, which is an absolutely beautiful outdoor, great bass fishing, uh, biking, trails, hiking. So, you know, we really can check the boxes for everybody. So I think when we're talking about bringing people into the Branson market, because of that diversity, you know, we really can hit anybody from young families, you know, to older empty nesters and uh, accommodate something for everybody. So where are people coming from when they're visiting Branson? Yeah, so our biggest demographic is the 100 to 300 mile radius. Mm -hmm. uh, so essentially, if you look at that, you know, you're pulling uh, St. Louis, Kansas City, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, and of course, Northwest Arkansas. That's our largest demographic. But where we're starting to see a big shift is the 300 to 650 mile. So we're starting to see Dallas. Uh, actually, Dallas has now creeped into our top 10 as a feeder market. Uh, we're seeing Chicago. Chicago's now reached into the top 15 as a feeder market. We're getting more out of Minneapolis, uh, more out of Omaha, Nebraska. So that 300 to 650 mile radius is really starting to grow for us but our bread and butter is 100 to 300 miles. Okay, okay, so 100 to 300 miles. So, so how has it been with gas prices for the past you know, month, two months, three months? You know, what, have you felt that? You know, actually, um, I was having a conversation with my staff today because I've got the most recent um, numbers for estimated visitation. Of course, everything estimated, you know, it can, you, can, you can add a plus three on either side of it. Um, but we're actually, we're only down about 3% in estimated visitation compared to 2021. Now, 21 was our record year. Um, again, 10 million visitors. Prior to that, our previous record was 9.1. So, you know, we grew by 900,000 visitors in 21, and we're only down 3% compared to wow. that. So, so I would say that um, probably where we've seen the hit is that, that, 300 to 650, but our main demographic has really taken advantage of being able to have a shorter drive. Um, so maybe not going to, um, you know, Disney World or maybe not, you know, going to like another major uh, destination like that because they can come at an easier drive. It's cheaper. Yes, the gas is there, but it's a shorter drive. So, you know, it's sa actually saving them money. Um, and so I think for us, we, we've benefited a little bit because I anticipated that we would have a much bigger decline over 21 and we're almost flat so we're pretty excited with where we're at yeah and i bet that the all the challenges with flights and all that probably has also served to help i would think yeah we anything. it has um you know i was uh, on a personal level uh, my kids go to the university of south carolina so they're in columbia south carolina and that's actually where i was at before i came to branson and my wife and I were just talking about, you know, we need to go see the kids. And uh, on average, it was about $350 to fly from 
Springfield Branson to Columbia, South Carolina. Now it's $600. So, you know, and that's on a personal level. And, and you know, we're actually, at, we're seeing it in the meetings in the convention space as well. Um, I'm, I'm headed to Grand Rapids next week for a marketing conference. And my flight from this area to Grand Rapids, Michigan was $1,200. And it's, uh, you know, so it's definitely affecting that longer traveler, um, those that are, you know, are, you know, coast to coast or anything that's really, really anything over a six hour drive. Uh, I think if it's under six hours, people are willing to drive that anything over six hours, that's when you typically jump on a plane. I think that's where you're starting to see the effect. And we're seeing more people that are driving longer distances instead of paying the, the flight fees. And, and then you throw on top of that, you just don't know what's going to happen with a flight anymore. I mean, between flight cancellations and, and getting stuck in places overnight. And, and now it seems like airlines don't give you that complimentary hotel anymore. And so it's, it's kind of become a nightmare on the, on the air side. That's actually the, the angle that I was thinking of even more because, I mean, now I, I wasn't familiar with the prices domestically of get, having gotten up quite that high, but you know, that right. part's crazy too. But I was thinking more just the inconvenience of it all and how nice it would be to just, you know, if you don't mind a road trip, you know, going a little bit shorter distance, driving, not flying and not having to deal with all that at the airport. Yeah. Well, and, and what we're um, on top of that. So what we're seeing is we're actually having more families you know, we were recently named a, a, a top five RV camping, you know, destination. And so we're seeing those people, you know, they were there instead of paying for an airline and, and, and not knowing what's going to happen or you're going to get stuck somewhere. Now they're renting RVs, you know, and they're, and they're driving in the market and they're actually staying longer because it, it was cheaper to rent an RV instead of buying flights for a family of five. And and it gives them an opportunity to get out into nature. And so it's been a nice shift to kind of see what's happening in our, our mm. campgrounds. Um, they're having record years. And so it's been, that's been good, but it really has. And I think when you look at Branson specifically, because we are both a leisure destination, but we also do have a good sized convention center um, in our sporting events. In fact, right now we're hosting the Cal Ripken, uh, the Babe Ruth Cal Ripken World Series of baseball, um, 20 domestic teams, eight international teams, and I was actually told yesterday we have two teams, one of them that has, keeps getting diverted in Dallas-Fort Worth, and I, I still don't know if they've arrived. And games started today. So it's been a struggle. Um, of course, they were coming from overseas, so they didn't have an option to drive. But um, it, it's been interesting to see how people have shifted, uh, whether it's driving in a family car, whether it's renting an RV, but kind of getting away from the chaos that's been the airline industry. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's very interesting. Um, so it sounds like it sounds like across the board, you're you know you're holding pretty steady. You said you're down to maybe three percent. Is it? We're down three percent. Yeah, and that's an estimated visitation. If you actually look at our tax numbers, now we know inflation is in is a part of this. Um, tax collections mm -hmm. are actually up. Um, the the nice thing is, I want to say, depending on who you listen to. You know, inflation is running uh, 9 to 12%, depending on the conversation you have. Our tax collections are up 18%. So even if you remove the estimated inflation, we're still up over last year in tax collections. And, and a big component of that has actually been the hotel community. We're, we're having a record year for what our average daily rate is in our hotels. And it, it's been, it's been um, you know, it, it's been nice to see from the business standpoint, of course, you know, a little difficult when we represent the visitor as well. But, you know, we've, we have, for a long time in Branson, we've kind of had uh, a lot of the hotels that still think, you know, pictured us as that $29.99 drive-in hotel. And the market always dictated a higher rate than that. And so we have seen our hotels finally take advantage of that. And that's really helped impact our tax collections. So you mentioned the, uh, the RVs coming in. And I know some locations have had trouble with that because there have been a lot of them and their people staying longer and they're parking in, in places maybe they aren't supposed to park in. Have you guys encountered any of that? So not from like, you know, parking in places they're not supposed to be, but what we have seen, you mentioned the longer stays. Mm -hmm. um, we actually have started to do some research on these um, millennial uh, families that are now basically they sold their house and they bought, you know, fifth wheel or a big RV. And like now they're living, you know, out of those, those RVs. And what they're doing is because they've taken on remote work, you know, now they're traveling across the country and they're not, 
um, destined to stay in one specific state or one specific city. They're going, you know, city by city, yeah. maybe staying a month at a time. And there's actually uh, full curriculums out there now to actually homeschool these kids that are now part of this, uh, I guess they're calling it road school, you know, so now they're, they're road school students um, that are moving community to community in these RVs and, and kind of taking advantage. And that's been a, obviously a major shift that's come out of COVID-19. Um, so it's, again, not that they're being in places they're not supposed to be, but that they're definitely staying a longer time and almost becoming um, part-time residents in the community. Um, for us, I think where we see a challenge with that is because they're here for such an extended time, they, they are almost like a resident of the community. And so it drains resources a little bit more, um, you know, compared to where visitors are rolling over. So, uh, but yeah, we're not getting a tax base out of them outside of a sales tax. You know, we're not getting the tax base out of them. So it's definitely been a shift. Um, I, you know, I sit on some committees with Destinations International, um, which is the, the, the board, uh, you know, for CBDs, the Association Board for CBDs. And there's been more and more conversation about how are we dealing with this new age workforce that's getting these remote jobs. They're not living in homes and now they're living in basically campgrounds and different places that they can pull an RV. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. So from your perspective, then it's definitely a choice that they're making. They're not, they're not forced necessarily into living in these RVs. They're doing it because they want the freedom. They want to explore the country and you're seeing more of them pulling into Branson and, uh, and it's a question about what, you know, how that can impact the tax base and all that. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. In fact, uh, some of the research that we've recently uncovered, um, there are actually on, uh, you know, we, we do a lot of work with, with influencers. Um, and um, I think our connection actually was one, you know, from a guy that does our golf influencing, you know. So um, we have found more and more influencers for this homeschool slash road school market um, you know that are really putting together that this is becoming a thing like this isn't just a you know a hot ticket item that's going to go away but this is actually becoming a thing these families are going to live and grow in these you know in these rvs and so from a town perspective it's great they're here you know and they're doing their shopping and they are eating mm -hmm. in our restaurants but you're here in an extended period and you're not paying a property tax you know you're not you're not paying into the, you know, the, the public sales tax for our, for our firefighters and our police force. So how do we adjust? Um, how do we adjust that? You know, like how do we find a way when they're here for an extended time, but how do you also, how do you also truly find that out? You know, you, you don't, you can't just go RV to RV and say, are you here for a week or are you here for, you know, a month or two, you know? So um, it, it's going to be an interesting twist for these communities um, and, and the same really goes for, um, even if you take the RV component out of it, but because we are seeing so many more new remote workers, um, like for instance, we've also had an influx of people that uh, lived in Northern California, were allowed to move here. They still work for their tech firm in San Francisco. Their money is going four times further, you know, in Branson than it was in California. But when, and yes, they are paying, paying property taxes. But when you start talking about business taxes, that's all going back to the state of California, you know, not the state of Missouri. So it's, uh, it's kind of interesting, um, this dynamic of how this whole workforce has really shifted. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, and it sounds like it sounds like at the moment, you know, um, there's there's positives and there are negatives. And it doesn't sound like you're kind of firmly on either side of that. Like you're, you know, you see the benefits of it and, and, you know, as well as the, the drawbacks, um, you know, do you, I mean, is that correct? Do you, or do you, do you feel like this is, this is a, a, a something that the town is really, it's going to be maybe a negative in the future, you know, something's going to have to be addressed differently. Yeah. I, I believe that it's, I think we're looking at a situation where definitely more research needs to be done. You know, I mean, it, it's so new. Um, obviously, we need to see where this leads and where this heads um, in the future. What are, you know, how can you make these families feel welcome um, without just worrying so much about taxes, you know? And so I think there needs to be more research that needs to be done. Now, selfishly, um, on the, uh, with my role in, in the chamber and the CBB, they're here and they're paying, you know, they're, they're paying to go to Silver Dollar City and to, you know, to eat in the restaurants and to go see a show and to shop at Tanger Outlets. And so 
they're in market, so selfishly, I'm glad they're here. Um, but I think there needs to be more research done on what is the long-term effect on a community. So that's a great segue into what, what is your role? What is the role of Discover Branson in the community? Yeah, so um, we're actually kind of a little unique. There's not um, a lot of organizations set up exactly like we are. So the, the overall parent company is the Branson Lakes Area Chamber and CDB and Taney County Partnership. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a long, it's a long word. Um, we, so we are the Chamber of Commerce and, you know, the Chamber of Commerce. So, you know, we are the voice of small business. We are the organization that will help lobby on behalf of small business, um, on behalf of making you know, this a better place for, for workers, a better place for um, education, um, you know, really focusing on what can we do on the statewide level that could even impact us um, for business taxes and, and to promote economic development. So that is you know, on my chamber side. Um, the CVB side, which is also known as Explore Branson, then that is our organization that you know, is driving tourism for this entire region. Um, so we're, we're really helping to promote all there is to see and do. You know, we're promoting why this is a great place to visit. Um, all demographics, you know, all distances from, from the region. But we want them to come here, have a great time, spend their money, and then leave. So we can have somebody else come in and do the exact, you know, exact same thing. And then we are also the economic development office. And so, you know, we are that office that is driving new business development, you know, whether it's tourism, you know, whether it's a, um, an insurance company, um, you know, here, because we have all of the hills and the mountains and Branson, we can't really build a manufacturing plant, you know, but we can do creative things. Like we have a data center that actually lives in the old mine inside of a mountain. So, you know, it's driving, you know, workforce and, and uh, different sources of business outside of just tourism. So, we are kind of your one-stop shop for just about everything involved with tourism, economic development, and being the voice of small business. So of those three things, you know, voice of small business, tourism, economic development, um, how do the priorities work? You know, is it tourism by far number one? Is it, you know, how, how, does, that, how does that work? Yeah, I would say, you know, when you look at our budget, for instance, um, uh, roughly 90% of our budget is tourism specific. It's, it's marketing the region. Um, you know, we are a destination that is roughly, uh, let's say 95 to 97% tourism economy um, between the attractions and the hotels and the shopping, um, you know, the businesses that support the tourism side of it. Um, we have limited industry outside of that. You know, we do have um, uh, uh, a community college here. We do have um, a private liberal arts co uh, college here. So, and then obviously we have the hospital system. So, you know, we've got, you know, some limited industry outside of it, but yes, we are primarily tourism. Um, so when you look at our staff, we're a staff of 35 people. And on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, I would say roughly 20, let's say 25 of the 35, their primary job is marketing the destination. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. That's a pretty big organization, I think, for, for this type of a tourism group. You know, it is. Um, I think what kind of separates us apart from some of the other destinations is we have, we, we not only receive the, uh, the tourism tax that uh, comes from the city of Branson. You know, it's on the hotels, it's on the attractions. Um, there's a half a penny that's on the restaurants. Now, a separate topic of conversation, but that tourism tax, because we are much, such a small community, 75% of that collection also goes to maintaining our roads and our water and sewer because of the 10 million visitors. So we have to have a unique way to even fund all that. But we also have a 1% tourism sales tax um, that is in this this region and it's pretty much on everything. So when you look at Branson, um, our overall budget is $13 million. Um, you know, I came here from Columbia, South Carolina, you know, a, a city of just under 900,000 people, the University of South Carolina, state capital, major manufacturers in the, in the region. My budget there was only 6 million. So I've got double the size of the budget in Branson in a town of 10,000 versus 900,000, but it's because of the way that the funding is set up. So, okay, so I'm, I'm always fascinated by that. So is this considered a public-private partnership? We are, because the way that we, you know, public-private as well as quasi-government. So um, quasi-government, because of the sense that we do get funding from, you know, the, the city of Branson, um, and the, the tax that we receive is a statewide approved um, tax for our region. 
So you've got the quasi government, but you've got the private partnership because we also, of course, we've got the membership for the Chamber of Commerce. So you've got that component, but we also do um, a co-op marketing program with a lot of local businesses. And so they're investing their private money into our organization. We're matching that money to help promote their business. So there's, you've got a little bit of everything on the table, private partnership as well as quasi-government. Okay, so, and I'd like to, to try to break this down a little bit, because I, I think a lot of people maybe don't understand how this works. So, so it was created, and so how, how was the whole organization created? Was it a vote in the, by the people? Was it some other manner? Yeah, yeah so the, of course, the Chamber of Commerce came first. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, that and, would, and that's a, non, a, a nonprofit association that was set up, I would correct. imagine. Correct, yeah, it's a, it's a 501c6, Mm-hmm. Um, nonprofit, um, traditional chamber, and the part of the reason it falls into a 501c6 is because of the lobbying, you know, that chambers do on behalf of business. So the chamber was there first, um, and then roughly, uh, this was long before me, but let's say roughly 20 years ago, um, it was decided that because of the popularity of Branson, that the town really needed to find a way to grow and, you know, and promote itself. Um, realizing that that the people that were coming into Branson were coming because of word of mouth and mm-hmm. they really needed to find a way to become more competitive in the world of marketing. So they essentially um, worked with, um, you know, uh, some different lawyers and community representatives to put together statewide legislation. And it's actually interesting when you, when you read the legislation for this, this tourism tax, it's actually called the Tourism Community Enhancement District. And it's a 1% sales tax. When you read it, it's so specific that it can only be done in Branson. I mean, it, it talks about a town surrounded by three lakes and the, the lake has 700 plus miles of shoreline. So like it's very specific you know, to our area. But because it is a sales tax, that meant that the residents will pay, will pay some of it. If they, if they go to a restaurant, they'll pay it. If they go to an attraction, they'll pay it. It is not on groceries. It is not on you know, car sales. It is not on home sales but it is on those day-to-day things like restaurants, attractions, those sort of things. So we had to have it voted on and it had to be, you know, a 50 plus one approval. So my understanding was when it was first presented to the the community, because again, this community is 98% tourism, they all recognized the benefit and the approval rate was 77%. Um, There was a 10 year plan on it. It expired. So it had to go to re, you know, renew again. And so it, it got renewed again. Um, around the same 77, 78% approval rating. Um, we know the ones that are voting no are those that we have retirees here as well. And, you know, they're, of course, you know, they, they don't want to be taxed any more than they already are. So um, it, it was never 100%, you know, approval rating. But we're actually coming to the end. We've got two years left and it sunsets again. So we're getting ready to start the process to renew that public tax again. So that is with that tax. So the same as the whole true with the money we get in the tourism tax from the city of Columbia. Because that is a 4% tax, again, it's on the hotels, it's on the attractions, and a half a penny on the restaurants. Because it involves residents, you know, that is also one that has to be voted on by the, by the community. And so actually, when I started here a year ago, we, we lobbied, you know, we did a campaign pushing for, for renewal of that tax, and, and, and it got renewed. So now we're set up again in that tax for um, I believe we ex- like a 20 year, you know, period for that tax. But yes, it did have to be approved by, by the public. Traditionally, um, the cities I've been in before Columbia, Atlanta, um, the other cities that I've been in, traditionally, the funding usually comes from an accommodations tax um, that is just on the hotels. It doesn't involve the public. So there's no public um, voting that needs to take place. Usually it's just um, the city themselves deciding how much of it is awarded to the CVB, or in some cities, like when I was in Atlanta, it was a percentage. So every year, whatever the collections were, that percentage automatically went to the CVB without the city council deciding the amount, it was already determined. So typically it's based on the combinations tax. We've got several different sources here, but again, we're such a small community, we had to find a way to, to play with the bigger cities. And so we had to do some different funding sources. And then, uh, and I want to return to all this, but um, so in, so you've got a, a pretty healthy budget. 
Um, what kind, what, how, how does it break down? Like what, what, I mean, not, you don't have to be super specific, but in terms of like big buckets, are we talking about a lot of advertising to try to draw people in? Uh, are there other things that you focus on with, with the money? Yeah. So we do, um, you know, we, we spend, um, 80% of our budget on digital marketing. Mm. Um, you know, digital marketing can include, um, the, the new, you know, out of home, which is your, your uh, Netflix, your, you know, your Hulu's, uh, your prime video, you know, with, with people disconnecting from traditional cable, um, the advertisements that you now see, like within Netflix and those things, you know, we, we spend a lot of money to make sure that, you know, we're seen inside of those. Um, and then of course you've got your traditional social media advertising, and then we do, you know, some digital billboards and, and some of those different things. But the vast majority of that um, money is between out-of-home marketing, um, again, through Netflix, Hulu, that sort of thing, as well as our, our Google search and making sure that all of those keywords, if somebody's typing anything involved with Branson, you know, Table Rock Lake, any of that, that we're going to be the first one seen on that page that it's not, you know, sending it to somebody else. So the majority of our money goes into digital marketing. Um, we still do have a contingency in Branson that believes that traditional television marketing is still a way to do things. Um, so we have agreed that 20% of our budget still does go towards traditional uh, marketing. So you might live in, in uh, Seattle, Washington, and because we spend money on, on national uh, TV, you might see an ad there, whether you, you, know, you know anything about Branson or not. Um, it is much smaller than it used to be, but you know, we, we do still spend some money there. And then the rest of it would pretty much go into uh, promoting Branson as a meetings, conventions, and sports destination. Very but by far, by far, the largest portion is for digital marketing. Very interesting. Okay, so now, now I want to return to uh, all the stakeholders that you've got, um, you know, because as we talk about how it's a public-private partnership and you've got, you know, voters, you've got businesses, you know, it sounds to me like you, you kind of probably have to report to a lot of people. Is that, is that, is that true? Yeah, so um, our organization, um, so before I even get into the community, so we'll start with, you know, like with the boards. Uh, so we have a chamber board of directors, um, 25 member, you know, board of directors on the chamber side. And then the, the tourism community enhancement district, again, that's our largest pot of money for marketing because that is a state tax. It does have to have its own governing authority. So there is a seven member board of directors for the, the tourism community enhancement district. And then in the economic development office, it's also a pay to play type situation. So we have 42 businesses that will pay into the Taney County partnership to be a part of economic development. And the way it's written, if you pay, you're part of the board. So essentially it's a 42 member board of directors for the economic development side. Then you take into account city council for, you know, for the city of Branson. And that is uh, with the mayor, that's seven people on city council that we have to work with. There's three county commissioners in Taney County where we're, where we're located. We have over 750 members of the Chamber of Commerce. And, you know, when you, when you pay to be a member, you, you view yourself as a, as a director and as part of the board, even if you're not officially part of the board. So we have over 750 members. And we live in a community that knows tourism is its lifeblood, and they all want to help us promote. So 
there's a lot of a lot of voices that uh, we have to deal with on a day to day basis. And then my job specifically as the president and CEO, there's a lot of advocacy work and making sure that they understand the messages that we are trying to put across, what our mission is, what our goals, what our principles are, and what the future looks like. In fact, September 7th, we are launching a 10 year strategic plan that will really focus on, I believe it's six, six areas of growth that really need to take place inside of Branson. So what was your job interview process like for this? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was interesting because um, even though we are all three of those organizations, uh, traditionally the, the uh, person that runs the organization has either had chamber of commerce background or economic development background. Mm -hmm. So, even though the primary focus is tourism, the previous leaders were not tourism-based leaders. Uh, so in my instance, because I've spent almost 20 years in destination marketing, they decided they want to make a change. And they, they really wanted to bring in somebody that had tourism background for the first time. And so for me, um, they really did a pretty good job because they, they took individuals from the board of directors, from the chamber board of directors, they included the city of Branson, the city manager from the city of Branson. They included the president from the Tourism Community Enhancement District, and they included one of the senior staff members, you know, within the organization. So they, they actually did a pretty good job of blending the different voices, you know, that would, that would be heard. Um, you know, it was a two or three uh, interview process, you know, of course, started with Zoom, then in person. And so... Um, what was interesting was I wasn't that, I knew of Branson, you know, Branson every year is a top 25 destination on TripAdvisor. So I knew Branson, but I'd never been here. So before I even accepted the invitation to interview, my wife and I flew out here and spent four days in Branson to see if it would be a place that we could live. And, you know, if it was a place that um, I could work at. So we actually came out and spent some time before the interview process. So, but overall it was, um, it was, it was pretty well handled. They did a good job of how they handled the interview process. So was being a CEO something that you wanted to do for a long time? Was that something? Because I, I believe this is your first uh, CEO role. Is that correct? It's, yeah. So my previous job, uh, yes, yes. The answer is yes, um, as a standalone CEO. So in Columbia, South Carolina, um, my organization was part of an authority. Um, it was called the Midlands Authority for Convention Sports and Tourism. That organization ran the Convention Center, the Convention and Visitors Bureau, and the Sports Council. I was the executive director for the Convention and Visitors Bureau. So I oversaw, you know, the day-to-day -day operations, the, the strategic planning, the budgeting, everything for the CVB, but there was a CEO um, that ran the authority. So I did have a report, you know, in the authority structure, and then I ran the, the CVB. Um, so as a standalone president CEO, yes. So was that something that you had, that you saw as part of your, your kind of, some of your career goals, you wanted to lead an organization at the highest level, or was that something that presented itself and, and, you, and you wanted the opportunity? You know, it's, it's always been a goal of mine. Um, I actually, uh, if you go back to the beginning days, I actually wanted to be a college football coach. <laughs> so, um, you know, I played football at Central Michigan University, uh, coached high school for a couple years, um, got married, had kids, realized high school coaching. Well, hi, let me rephrase this. High school coaching, you know, 20 plus years ago didn't pay. Now they make as much as I do, um, especially in the state of Texas. But, um, yeah. you know, I realized I had to get a real job, you know, and so, um, I actually started at a, I started running sports facilities and, and my first facility was a hundred thousand square foot building in Indianapolis, Indiana. I was 24 years old and I had a staff of 32 in, in a $2 million budget. And so yeah, I was kind of like from the very beginning, almost thrown into this leadership role. And, you know, I'm 45 now. And so the better part of, of 21 years, I've served in a leadership role, um, just not on a level of, you know, of what I am in now, you know, as a, as a president and CEO. And so I knew that I always wanted to be in leadership. Um, I knew that um, I try to view myself as kind of a trailblazer and, 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 you know, somebody that really wants to be progressive and to move things forward and, and to share those opinions and to, you know, to help drive and dedicate a staff towards, you know, that shared vision. And I knew in order to do that, I had to be, 
you know, the, uh, the boss. So over time, you know, I've, I've, I've really learned how to um, take in advocacy. Um, Destinations International, again, the, uh, the, the parent association for the CBB world. I served on the advocacy committee um, for, you know, I think four or five years. Um, really trying to learn and, and, and from others and really trying to, you know, develop my own way of being able to, to work with almost being, I'm not an elected official, but it feels like it, you know, <laughs> I mean, so, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of shaking hands and kissing babies, um, especially on because of the chamber of commerce side of it and representing business. And so, um, there's been a lot to learn, but I've, I have taken those steps along the way to try to make sure that I can fill, fulfill this role the way it needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and as an aside, um, I'm also, I, I've got a background as a high school wrestling coach. Uh, well, wrestling coach, not a football coach, but, uh, yeah. you know, it, on the wrestling side, it still doesn't pay anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I quickly learned um, a lot of these schools now. Well, so I've been in, the, well, I guess, I guess Branson now technically isn't the South, it's the Midwest, although there is a, um, we're 20 minutes from Arkansas, so they don't know whether they're South or whether, whether they're Midwest. Um, but, you know, I spent five years in Atlanta and then, and then 10 years in, in Columbia, South Carolina. So had transitioned to the South. And I quickly learned that what these high schools do now is, is the head football coach also serves as the athletic director. Mm. And, you know, depending on the size of the school, you know, my kids went to a school that had 3,000 3, kids. And, and our, our uh, football coach, I mean, he, he was upwards of 200,000 a year because he was also the athletic director. And, and of course I was like, well, if I would have known that I could have stayed, you know, stayed the course, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I love what I do. Um, you know, I, I, I really love, um, I call it building and curating destinations. Um, you know, really putting, you know, my stamp on a destination um, to help drive the economic development that can sustain the city, you know, moving forward. Um, helping build a brand that people so are aware do, of. So how does that work? And can you, can you say that one more time? That's an interesting phrase you had. The, the, the building and the curating? Yeah. 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 How does so, building and curate, what does that exactly mean? So essentially what I mean by that is, is putting a plan in place that really helps, you know, progress the destination in a visitor standpoint. Um, so it might be meeting with a developer because we need um, a different set of hotels. Or it might be, you know, like right now, we're seeing a youth movement in Branson. Our average age visitor now is 44 years old, 62% of them are families, and they average uh, 2.1 kids per family. And, you know, tr in, in the past, Branson was on average an age of 57 in a lot of empty nesters. And so we've seen this drastic shift in market. Um, a lot of that is because of the outdoor recreation, you know, that, that they can see and do. And of course we've got, I can't tell you how many putt-putt courses, but it's, it's looking at the destination and saying, okay, what's next? And so when we're working with developers, it's really highlighting the fact that like right now we've got a guy that's getting ready to build, it's called Social Birdie. And it's, it's an environment that has pickleball courts. It's got, the new um this new uh hot feature where it's the 18 hole championship putt putt you know so it's it's, it's not the old school putt putt with the windmills but it it's, looks like you're out on a golf course you know but it, it's this new high-end putt putt live music with a great restaurant stuff that really is attractive to a younger generation and so when we start talking about curating a destination it's really putting together that master plan of what does the future look like? Because if you don't, and you continue to operate on what your destination was built on, your destination eventually will die. Because it was, it was built on a certain segment, those individuals that were largely baby boomers, you know, God bless them, a lot of them are starting to leave the earth. So it's starting to, you're seeing a segment that's starting to dwindle, so you have to curate and build that new segment that's gonna draw the next level of visitor, and what does that visitor look like? Not just those millennials that are now 40, I think uh, 40, 41 years old now is what the millennial is, but now the Gen Z. You know, my kids are 20 and 19. They're Gen Z. What do we need to do, prepare, and build so that when the Gen Zs become 40, we have a destination that's ready to, to accept them? So it's really curating that. And then from the storytelling side, 
it's really getting out there what is unique about Branson. You know, it, it used to be back in the day where you shoot these commercials out there and you just, you show the Ferris wheels and the putt-putt and the, and the boats on the lake. Now they want to know what's unique. You know, what is that unique thing that they can do here? And, you know, thanks to TikTok, it has to be unique. You know, it's, it, it can't be the traditional anymore. And so now we have to curate these stories that are highlighting that unique thing that you can get in Branson that you can't get anywhere else. Okay, so so what what so if I'm a TikToker and I come to Branson, what what do I do first to show that I've done something unique? So I will tell you. Uh, so there's I'll tell you two of our our most popular trending things that's happened on TikTok so far. So on Table Rock Lake, um, we do have um, because Table Rock Lake essentially was you know built through the mountains. We have a lot of cliffs, so the younger people love to go to, and my kids just did this three weeks ago. Um, you know, the cliffs are, well, depending on what part of the lake, you know, 20 to 30 feet high. So now it's cliff jumping into Table Rock Lake. You know, a nice, and I, and I know it's not just unique to Branson, but obviously it, it's, it's an alternative to, you know, some of the, the past things that you would come here to do. Now it's cliff jumping. And then on the other side of that, um, and this part was interesting. So one of our our, this got 10 million views on, on TikTok. Um, we brought in an influencer and she took her kids to Silver Dollar City, our amusement park, and they had their hands cast in wax and turned into a candle. I mean, I, and it got 10 million views, you know, so it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's those interesting things. And, and actually one of the videos that we curated personally without an influencer and it got two, I think 2.3 million views on TikTok was the glamping tents. We have some amazing glamping tents that overlook Table Rock Lake. We highlighted one of those tents and it got 2.3 million views. So it, you know, again, it's getting away from just a Hilton hotel and showing the alternative. So, okay, so this is, this is fascinating to me because, I mean, it's just on its face fascinating, but the, um, uh, Sorry it, it, that's okay. Yeah, I think, I, I think that's all right. Sorry. That's okay. I'm surprised that my, that my dogs haven't said anything so far. Um, so that it's, it's fascinating to me because we, we all go online, whether we go on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or wherever, we're all periodically on these sites and we see these amazing videos and we think, okay, well, we don't know where did these videos come from? How did they go viral? You know, is it just, somebody happens to upload something, which I'm sure, which does happen. And that does, you know, and, and it just naturally goes viral. But I, I think what you're saying is you're an organization that knows it has a responsibility to promote Branson and these videos are important. And so you're kind of on the lookout for, all right, what is a video that represents us well, that gives these folks what they're looking for. And, and so in a, in a sense, in, in essence, you're, you're, you're promoting these video, these viral videos. Yeah, and, and we really do pay attention to, you know, what are those trends? You know, what are those, those, so, you know, we know that food trucks have become just a major thing across this country. And we we're starting to get some tremendous food trucks here. And so actually, yesterday, my, my digital team went out to the lake. There's this, there's tremendous uh, food truck courtyard that's like right on the lake. And they did a TikTok you know, from that area in, to promote, again, that you don't have to go to a traditional, um, nothing against like a cheesecake factory or anything like that, but you don't have to have that. You can get this unique, uh, you know, food truck experience on the lake that you might not be able to get somewhere else. And so we really do try to follow the trends that are happening on TikTok and making sure that we're showing that younger generation what there is in our destination that aligns with that. It's really interesting. Um, okay, so now I want to turn to a more traditional question around management. So you've got, did you say 35 people on your team? Yeah, yeah, we've got 35 individuals on my team. Okay, so, um, and, and you know, you already talked about your, your budget, all that makes sense. How many people directly report to you? Um, so I have, uh, there are what, there's, uh, uh, I believe six, uh, six direct reports. Um, they range from uh, chief economic development officer, uh, vice president of government affairs, uh, chief marketing officer, chief sales officer, 
vice president of administration and then vice president of member engagement. Okay. So, and that sounds, that, okay, so that, that's interesting. And then they, and, and probably most of them manage a handful of people as well. Um, I, does everybody have a, have direct reports on that? For they that do. List? Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. do. Um, and then depending on, you know, like our economic development office is small. Um, right now there's, there's uh, two of them and then a part-time person. He'll probably bring in the third one. Um, our chamber staff is a little bit bigger than that. But then, like I mentioned earlier, probably 25 of the 35 uh, staff members are on the CVB side. So that's where your staff will start to break out with my chief marketing officer and my chief sales officer. Okay. And then, so in terms of hiring, how is that? How do people, are you hiring mostly from the community or are people kind of like yourself being brought in, you know, to, to handle these kind of specialized roles? Yeah, so, you know, we, we put out our posts nationally um, when we need to fill positions. Um, we'll do it specifically through what organizations that we work with. So if it's on the CBB side, you know, we'll make sure we put our posts through Destinations International as well as something like an Indeed. Um, if it's on the Chamber side, we'll do it through ACCE, which is the Chamber um, uh, Parent Association for Chambers. Um, unfortunately, what we're finding right now in today's climate is – with a lack of housing and almost nationwide, um, it is, it's been difficult to get an employee to, to move into market, you know, because they can't find something. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's been a challenge. And so the positions that we've had to fill uh, in, since I've been here, most of them have been at least in this region. Um, we have, mm -hmm. you know, Springfield, Missouri, 45 minutes away. Um, Springfield is a metro of about 500,000 people. Mm -hmm. And then we've got, um, you know, Arkansas. We're 20 minutes from Arkansas, and we're like an hour and a half from northwest Arkansas, Bentonville, Arkansas, mm -hmm. and Fayetteville, and, and those areas. So we will drive more um, uh, potential employees from this kind of this region um, instead of from a national. We promote a national, but it's been tough because of the housing crisis. I see. So, um, so how hard has hiring been? Has it been? Has it been? Is it relatively easy? Or, or you know, I know a lot. A lot of places are really struggling to to bring folks in. Yeah. No. It's it's been difficult um, with the positions. Either we won't get a lot of applications for it, um, which is which has been interesting, um, just from the lack of you know because you you hear people that are still looking for jobs, but it's become a real interesting job market because they're asking you know, um, either they're asking for a much higher pay than what has traditionally been out there, or they're asking for to just work remote, even though, you know, and we do, we allow one day a week to work remote. We haven't quite adapted more than one day yet. Um, but they might want to be fully remote and, you know, and not be in a, in a house. I mean, I'm sorry, in an office. And we're really looking at between some of the benefits that they're offering or I mean that they're asking for it. It's been difficult to try to put together a full package for some of these individuals. And so a lot of our recent hires have actually been much younger, uh, recent college grads, which I don't have an issue with. I mean, we, cause they've been more that, that level position. I haven't had to hire like a, um, any of my VPs or anything. Those are, those VPs have still been there, but like more of the entry level type, you know, positions have been filled by more recent college grads with limited work experience. So it's kind of been an interesting, interesting shift in the market. And it's interesting, the remote work angle. So, so, you know, I would assume this is really a COVID, you know, development where, you know, there's a changed expectation now. And so you're encountering that quite a bit, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, not just the remote work, but um, all of a sudden, this idea that, um, you know, jobs need to pay more than, you know, than what they have. And now, and I do somewhat agree. I think that there, I think that this nation has over decades has probably done kind of a poor job of making sure that, especially our entry level type positions, that those, that pay has continued to increase, you know, with as inflation and stuff like that has increased. So I think we need to do a better job of that. But a case in point, I was talking with one of our bank members, and they, they had a position available that typically paid in the mid 40s and their applicants were asking for eight, you know, and, and it's so it's really been this like, how do we how do we justify this new workforce that is not only asking for 
working from home, but also to be paid more. Um, and then where the workers at, you know, like that's, you know, like where, where are the workers at? And we knew it was coming. I think the great resignation happened before anybody anticipated. Um, but when you look at the population, you know, the U S population is now shrinking. And so how are we going to adjust our workforces knowing that in the future, there's even not, there's going to be even less employees in the future. So it, it has been an interesting, um, two years to really try to adjust to this new, this new way of life. Yeah. Yeah. I've encountered the same, the same thing. And it's, it's also interesting because, you know, when people are working remotely, they're not comparing salary, local salaries to local salaries. You know, they're, you know, they're, they may be, you know, looking at a a job in Branson and a job in Manhattan for all we know. And, you know, I think that kind of throws a bit of a wrench into salary expectations at times. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so uh, my, the gentleman that runs the hospital system here, he had um, an IT worker um, in the hospital, healthcare IT, and he had just given her, you know, an increase at work. Um, I don't remember exactly, you know, what it was. Let's say somewhere between seventy to eighty thousand. Um, she then got offered the opportunity to work for an IT company based in San Francisco, but remain in Branson, so she didn't have to move. And they paid her twice what she was making at the hospital. And so that has even put a challenge, you know, on the local businesses, because you do have these companies, these major companies, and that company specifically was saving money by paying her to live here because they would have had to pay her more to live in the San Francisco market to afford living there. So now you even have, you know, that aspect that's, that's coming to play as well. And it, it really has put all of us on notice of the future and more flexibility and and realizing that you know in the near future if i lose my chief marketing officer my next chief marketing officer might live in chicago yeah but she's not leaving chicago he or she's not leaving chicago they want to stay there and still run the marketing for branson so it's been interesting to try to to play that game and you know and we've done things internally to try to um, enhance employee retention you know doing the one day a week of remote more than likely we'll move to two days in the future We've added mental health days, um, two mental health days. You know, that's become a big concern, you know, across the country is, is just having a mental health day to, to, to break apart from, you know, the everyday work. You know, we, we added an extra week of vacation um, per, you know, for depending on how long you've been in the organization. If you were normally at three weeks, we gave you four, you know. Mm-hmm to try to, because I can't pay them more. We're a nonprofit, so I can't pay them more. So we've tried to look at the benefits on that side um, to really improve employee retention. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think those initiatives are all really good. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I, I certainly think that, that, you know, things are going to continue to evolve in this way. Um, What, so just thinking about your role as CEO now for a moment, um, what are some of the things you like the least about being CEO? Are there, are there any, are there any activities or any responsibilities kind of that are like, you know, you're just, you know, maybe you are kind of at the bottom of your list of things you, you enjoy. Yeah. So um, one of the challenges that, that we're having right now is, um, and, and this isn't just specific to Branson. Um, in fact, I've talked with a lot of my friends, a lot of my, my peers across the country coming out of COVID um, a lot of the governments, um, as they're trying to rebound their cities and regrow their cities, they have really started to look at tourism authorities and, and are almost questioning, do they need to exist? Mm. You know, will people travel um, without somebody promoting us? <laughs> Can we repurpose that money towards roads or, you know, repurpose that money to replace sewer systems or... So there's a lot of our destinations, a lot of of my friends specifically in major cities um, across this country. And we're all under attack for, do we need you? And so, you know, it really is increasing that advocacy effort. And so the challenge that I I have right now on the CEO level is, is how am I continuing to convince, you know, the elected officials our worth and, and that you do need us, but at the same time, recognizing, you know, how can we help you, you know, really to advance 
the, the city. You know, and we know if we get more visitation, that'll help take care of some of the infrastructure problems that, you know, that we have. But it's, it's, um, it's been real challenging because they don't see it as clear as we do. And so I think as we're continuing to advocate and try to get that message across, it's been tougher that, than we anticipated to, to try to make sure they know that we are worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I actually worked in politics for a little while, so I know how, how that can be with uh, <laughs> uh, having to convince elected officials in particular of anything that you want to convince them of. Right. You know, and I guess the other thing that I would probably throw in there is, as well, kind of going back to what we were just talking about in terms of the workforce, it really is. Now, I don't, I don't dislike this in terms of like, I would, not, I would not leave being a CEO because of this, but it really is, we are at a point, there is such a difference between a Gen Z worker and then a baby boomer and, and everything in between. You know, the, the millennials and the Gen X, and, and I'm 45, so I'm actually considered a Xennial. Um, there's like this seven year period where we're called Xennials, the, the last, the last of the pre-digital age and then the first to adopt the digital age. So I'm a, I'm a Xennial really trying to figure out how do you set up an environment that is inclusive of all the demographics, um, age demographics, um, race, you know, demographics, um, you know, individuals with disabilities, the LGBTQ plus community. How are we as CEOs establishing work environments that are inclusive of everybody and being careful at the same time of if you do, if you do something for one, why are you not doing it for the other? So there's, there's a lot of eggshell walking um, to make sure that we are offering an inclusive environment of everybody. Now, I sit on the National Committee for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion with Destinations International, so that's actually um, near and dear to my heart. So I don't look at that as a negative thing, but it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough to make sure that we're communicating the message that we are inclusive to everybody without one group feeling left out. So, okay. So this is a, um, you know, I don't mean this to be a leading question or anything, but so you've been in, in destination marketing for 20 years. Um, is it harder? There've always been different generations in the workplace over that time period. Has it gotten that much more challenging in the recently than uh, than 20 years ago, you think? Um, I do, and I think it's just difference in expectations. Yeah. Um, I think that there's, for instance, because we do more digital marketing and we put more money into the um, the social media side of it, we also know that a lot of that can be done. Just kind of going back to like the remote work, for instance, we know a lot of that can be done remotely, and so there's more of an expectation of allowing those those workers, you know, to just get out and to do their thing. Um, I think when we really look at, and, and I do apologize, my, my lawn service is here and I realize the downstairs door is open and I don't need my dog going out and attacking the guy on the lawn. <laughs> yeah. Go, go, uh, let's, let's, uh, yeah, let's take a trip and, uh, and, and yeah, save so we're going to, we're going to take a quick trip and make sure he doesn't go outside. But I, you know, but I think when you look at that, there is a whole different level of expectation and we're trying to make sure that, that we're able to give them the work environment that they want, but at the same time that provides the service that, that we need done, yeah. you know, to market the destination and to really to get out and to promote the visitors. So where in the past we had workers that really did focus on, I mean, there was no issue of if we're working a 50 to 60 hour week. Yeah. And now, you know, the, the younger generation is, you know, they want to they work and they want to then go home you know, at five o'clock, like we're done and they want it or they want to work from home. So it, it definitely has been a big shift in our, in our, you know, working environment. And it, it's become more of a challenge again, because uh, for instance, my chief, my chief um, economic development officer, he is still, and he's a little older than me, but he is still one that he'll work 50 hours a week and he just can't understand working remotely. <laughs> and so as we're dealing with that and we're dealing with, you know, that staff is even trying to get current, you know, um, VPs to understand that that's just the way of life. Yeah. So in terms of, um, so in terms of kind of managing that challenge, cause you know, I, I think that is a very real challenge. Um, are there any things that you are kind of sort of doing specifically? Are you, you know, is, is it all about communication and, and things like that? Yeah. So we do, um, we did an employee survey. Um, in October of 21, 
and had 100% participation, which was a good thing. Of course, I required it, but sometimes requirements don't mean anything. Um, and, you know, we really did run the gauntlet with, with the staff of, you know, what would they like to see? What could we do, you know, better? Um, and that was really what led to allowing, like, the, the, re the remote day what led to the mental health days um we do once a month we do a all staff luncheon it's required and we don't talk about work you know it's all about team building and making sure that we enjoy working with each other and those were some things that you know that came out of the employee survey um you mentioned communication absolutely um they always want to make sure that you know i'm communicating the most that i can um so that they're not watching the news one night and they, you know, they, I don't know, here's something that occurred that maybe I didn't, you know, that I didn't share with them. a major developments coming into town and I didn't share it with them. So communication is definitely key, but we really do try to make sure that the, that the employees that the staff has input, um, you know, they're the ones working, you know, I, you know, I'm one person, um, you throw in my senior staff, you know, we're, we're seven total out of the 35. So we need to make sure that we're really hearing the voice of the employees. We'll actually do, we will do another employee um, survey this October. So we're going to try to do it at least once a year and making sure again, that we're hearing, we're hearing their voice because that's, they're the ones that are going to give us the feedback of what's going to make the environment better for them. Um, and I think that's a big change, you know, again, growing up um, in, in my days, I, re I still remember my first boss, um, man, if I wasn't to work 20 minutes early and if I didn't stay 30 minutes late, uh, that was frowned upon. You know, there, there was, uh, your, your, your work might have said 8.30 to 5, but you better not work 8.30 to 5. You better show up early and leave late. And, you know, those days are gone. And, uh, and I think for a lot of us, um, we're excited that those days are gone. But at the same time, how do, how do we implement a new work environment when we were trained in a different way and to make sure that the work is still getting done. Hmm. So putting measurables in place and, and really making sure that we can be flexible, inclusive, but making sure the work is still getting done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think the last question I have, I always, I'm a data guy and I always like to ask, is there, is there any, if you could pick one metric to measure your success by over the next year, do you mm -hmm. have one? Is there, is there one metric that, that really you could just say, all right, we hit, this one, this number, boom, everything's, everyone's pretty happy. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, um, uh, um, it's interesting because my community, they look at tax collections, you know, and, and if tax collections are up, it was a successful year. I don't think you can always do that. And case in point, we know inflation right now is, is that's really just going to affect everything. So that doesn't necessarily mean that we had a successful year. Um, I think, you know, other destinations will, will really look at total number of visitors. You know, did we have 10 million? Did we have 11 million? And that is a good, that is a good sense of understanding where, you know, where you were from a visitation standpoint, but that is also subjective. And, you know, that is going to be based on whatever firm you're hiring, you know, and their methodology to really come up with that number. And I will tell you there, we have a lot of people in our community that don't believe we had 10 million visitors. Um, and I don't have to fight it because I do employ a research firm. They're the ones that put that number out there. And we say, well, based on their, you know, collections, it's 10 million people. So it's not us just creating that number. The number that I like to really look at and to stand on is the economic impact. And so there's, there's a company out there that we hire that is called Tourism Economics. And they go through, again, it's, it's a methodology thing. So people will still kind of argue methodology, but they will take everything from tax collections to sales tax to um, employment tax, business tax, and basically anything that can make up your economy. And they will, they will put that into, you know, their methodology and their formula to essentially come up with a number of what your total economic impact was on the community for the year. That's the number that I stand on because inside of that, that number will also give you a sense of how many people are employed in your community. It'll also give you a sense of your traveler being domestic versus international. It'll also give you an idea of your day visitor versus your overnight visitor. 
because it's an extremely comprehensive, you know, methodology to bring this all together. So, uh, you know, when we look at this economy and, and you know, we're roughly, uh, you know, 1.3 to $1.5 billion, you know, economy for tourism, you know, that is really telling for us of that success. And so next year, if that number runs 1.6 billion, then we know that we had, we had a successful year. And, and then selfishly, we also like to stick it to the state of Missouri a little bit because we do have the big cities like St. Louis and Kansas City, but we are number two in tourism tax collections for the state of Missouri just behind St. Louis. Wow. So if, if that, in fact, last year in 21, and, and it's unfair because St. Louis was still vastly shut down, but last year we became number one in the state of Missouri. So if we stay up there, then we like to say it was a great year because we're such a small community compared to them, but yet we drive more tax revenue. Well, that's really exciting, really fascinating. And I want to thank you for being on Road to CEO. Uh, were there any, are there any initiatives or anything that you wanted to share that we haven't talked about? You know, I just, I, uh, I mentioned it briefly earlier, but I really encourage, um, you know, those that are, are especially in my type of a, of a position really look at doing a destination strategic plan. Um, we involved a thousand people from our community in this destination plan. So it wasn't put together just by my team, but it will help set the direction for this, you know, this um, organization and this community for the next 10 years um, and really drive home, you know, key initiatives. And one of those initiatives is regionalism and really trying to bring in uh, more work with Springfield, Missouri, and all the way down to Bentonville, Arkansas, and really trying to drive this, this southwest Missouri, northwest Arkansas corridor um, that are all attached to the Ozark Mountains. And we're actually running a campaign called This is the Ozarks with those destinations to try to highlight all the great things there is in the Ozark region. And so I do highly, I highly recommend get your communities involved, do a destination plan, and really help set the direction um, you know, for your, for your organization. And even if you're not a destination marketing organization, you know, for, for a regular company, always try to have that strategic plan and get as many people involved as you can, because that's really what's going to help set the direction is when you have multiple minds at the table, helping set a new direction. Well, I couldn't agree more. I think that's, I think that's great input. And uh, how should people reach out to you if, if somebody wants to uh, get in touch? Yeah, so uh, you can email me at any time. You know, my email is joutman, J-O-U-T-M-A-N, at bransonchamber.com. Um, I am one that believes in, in not only sharing information, but uh, ripping off and duplicating other people's stuff. So uh, reach out anytime. Uh, would love to chat. Um, I love talking with peers and really, really learning what other people are doing. I think it's, it's just such a great opportunity to learn and, and uh, grow as individuals. So reach out anytime and, uh, or you can also visit our, our website, explorebranson.com and, and that'll have all the information as well. Well, thanks again. We'll put links up to explore Branson and uh, thank you again for being uh, on the show. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It was a great discussion. Apologize about my dogs in the background. That's all right. That's all right. What, what are the dogs names? I've got uh, three of them. So I've got Moose, which is the one that you've probably heard the most. Um, and then I've got uh, Rue and Chance. Okay. All right. All right. So now people can put a, put a name to the barking. So that's right. That's right. Again, I apologize about that. No, no, I, I, no, I, I, you know, I think it, it's, it, you can barely hear it. So hopefully, hopefully our, our audio magicians can, uh, can uh, make sure that everybody uh, is able to hear all the words. So yeah, I, yeah, I think part, it'll be good. Part of the remote work problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right.